0: Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word.
1: Hey, take your Bibles, turn over to Acts chapter 12, the book of chapter 12. I was reading a story in the paper this week about Bruno the dog. Now, Bruno had gotten lost. And uh, people that owned him didn't know where he was. He ended up in a little town just four miles from his home called Longville, Minnesota. And I'm sure most of you have probably been to Longville, Minnesota on vacation or something. But the people, they just knew there was this stray dog in their village. And so uh, they begin to to pat it and play with it and feed it. Finally, the owners found Bruno, took him back home but every day, Bruno walks four miles back into town and then at night goes back home. Got a picture of Bruno here showing back up into town. Uh, everybody loves him. They pat him and everything. Well, Bruno has become such a fixture in town. He walks there in the morning, goes back home at night, that the town this week did this. Look at the, the next slide. They actually put up a thing saying Bruno's the town dog. Uh, now, here's the question. Why does Bruno every day walk four miles there and four miles back? Because something happened in that town that touched him. Something happened in that town that said, these people love you. They're going to care for you. They're going to play with you. And so they became very special to him where even after he found his family, he still goes back. We're going to be talking about sticky faith. We've talked about it quite a bit and uh, what it means to have and raise a child with a faith that sticks. The Fuller Youth Institute in Pasadena, California has found out that one out of every two children leave the faith after 18 years of age. One out of every two. So what can we as a church do to address that and to make sure that doesn't happen? And the Fuller Institute has found out there's really three main things you need to do. The first thing is that the children need to see a grace-based instead of a work-based gospel. And by grace-based, I simply mean they need to know more than anything else that God loves them, forgives them, and accepts them, no matter how many times they've messed up or what they've done. It's not about performance. It's not about works. It's not about what a good little boy or girl you are. It's about God loving you no matter what. Your parents love you no matter what. The church loves you no matter what. That's the first thing that the Institute told us is that that that's something that the children need to know. A second thing they said is that parents need to understand they are the number one disciplers of their children. You can't just say we're going to send our kids to church and the the church is going to take care of them. Parents have to be the number one disciplers of their children. So those are two of the main things this morning. We're going to talk about the third thing, the third main reason that we see children stay together. And it's actually the number one thing. In the fuller research, the number one thing that causes a kid's faith to stick after 18 years of age is if they have intergenerational connections in the church. Now, what do I mean by intergenerational connections? Doesn't that sound like some big, heavy uh, uh, title there or something? All it means is your kid needs to know a few adults in the church. That's what it means. They need to have a relationship. They need to know. They need to have served with several adults in the church. And the more adults your children know well and trust and are involved in their lives, the more their faith will stick. As a matter of fact, they believe the ideal ratio is about five to one. That every child, if they have five adults in their life from the church that love and care and are involved in their lives, really know them and what's going on, their faith will stick more than anything else that you can do. Now, that's not a silver bullet, but research says that more than anything else, that's what causes a kid's faith to stick is when they have that kind of relationship with adults in the church. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to go into the book of Acts, and we're going to look at a young teenage boy by the name of John Mark, and we're going to see how intergenerational ministry, knowing adults, changed his life and caused his faith to stick. Now, John Mark, he's got two names there, kind of like Billy Bob or something like that. Uh, But it's not quite that simple. One was a Jewish name. The other was a Greco-Roman name. And a lot of people uh, had both names just so they could kind of weave in and out of that kind of world. John was a Jewish name. It means uh, Yahweh is gracious. And Mark uh, was a Greco-Roman name. And Mark means dedicated to the God Mars. And so uh, he had both of those names, John Mark. John Mark's mom was named Mary. They were fairly wealthy, had a large house, and the first church in Jerusalem met in his house. Okay, so that that was a pretty pretty neat thing to have happened as well. So when we look over in the book of Acts and we look at John Mark, what caused his faith to stick in this intergenerational ministry? Well, the first thing is this. He got to listen to the stories and see the prayers of the champions of the faith. Can you imagine being John, Mark and everybody coming to your house in the first church? Every one of the original disciples, Peter and James and John and, and, and all of those guys literally being at your house. Can you imagine knowing the Apostle Paul? Barnabas was his cousin. All of them are right there. Can you imagine the stories they were telling about Jesus and the things that had happened in their life and how they had messed up over and over again and Jesus kept pulling them along the way no matter how many times they messed up? He's hearing those stories. But not only that, he's there during that great day of Pentecost. He's there when when the church is exploding in numbers and one day 5,000 people are added to the church. It was at John Mark's house that the disciples were praying and the entire room began to shake as the Holy Spirit came down and empowered the church. He's seeing all of this go on in his life. Look over into Acts chapter 12, verse 12, and we see one of those instances. Peter's in prison. Uh, and, and Peter uh, is... is uh, uh, God miraculously works. Peter comes out of the prison and looks what happens. Acts twelve twelve. When this had dawned on him... He went to the house of Mary, this is talking about Peter, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer door, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. She recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed, ran back, and said, Peter's at the door. They told her she was out of her mind and kept insisting she must have seen an angel, but Peter kept on knocking. They opened the door, they saw him, and they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet, described how the Lord had delivered him from prison and said, Go get James and the other brothers and tell them what has happened. Can you imagine being John Mark and being involved in an episode like that and literally seeing it? How those stories and what he was told and heard and experienced, how that helped cause his faith to stick. As our kids grow up in the church from a young age till teenagers, they need to be hearing the stories of faith in the church. But how many times do they get to do that? How many times do you as an adult intentionally seek out to know a younger person and then tell them the stories of your faith? How many times have our children heard the stories of how this was a potato field? Just 50 years ago and look at what it is today and and how we're expanding on how many times have our children been told the great stories of the faith that happened in your life, your salvation experience, what God's done for you. We need to be taking every opportunity as we're with our kids to tell them these stories because these stories make a dramatic impact, but we're never even with our children. We segregate and we send them off to children's worship. We never get to see them at all. Instead of telling the stories of faith whenever we can. When you see kids out in the rotunda, when, when we're at some kind of a fellowship, take an opportunity to engage them, find out about them, tell them about your faith and how it makes a difference. Now, as I look out there, I can tell most of you are UFC, MMA uh, buffs out there. And uh, uh, anybody know who Misha Tate is? Me, uh, no, thank you. Thank you. Now, two of you, oh, same row, no, no, you know, they're, they're there for comfort and, and, and encouragement and everything, you know. Well, Misha Tate is a former world champion, one of, one of the best MMA fighters in the world. She was uh, hiking in, in the mountains in Nevada when a lady was coming down the mountain carrying her daughter. And the lady was clearly struggling. The girl was crying. And Misha Tate says, is there something I can do to help? And she said, I, I think she's broken her arm. I've got to get her down and get her to an ambulance. Well, Misha Tate thought, this mom ain't going to get her daughter down, down there, And she said, let me take her down the mountain. Now, Misha Tate is in, you know, prime athletic shape. She took the little girl, jogged all the way down to the mountain. Uh, Here's a picture of when they got to the mountain, and they were waiting for the ambulance to show up. And as a reporter came, they asked Misha Tate, they said, that was a long way down that mountain. What did you all talk about? And she said, I told her all about myself. And they said, what do you mean? And she said, well, I told her I was an MMA fighter. And she said, I told her, sometimes I've gotten hit really hard and knocked down and knocked out. And everybody tells you to quit and it hurts so bad. And I told her, I know it hurts and I know you've been knocked down, but you've got to have courage to get up and keep going just like I've done. And so here is Misha Tate telling her story to a little girl with a broken arm to encourage and to uplift her as she's running her down the mountain. Isn't the church supposed to be like that? A place where we gather our our, our kids as they're growing up and we tell them the stories of faith to encourage them as they're going through problems and having troubles. But we can only do that if we know them and talk to them. John Mark's faith continued on and stuck because he heard the stories of faith as he was growing up. A second thing that we see about John Mark that caused his faith to stick is that he had strong mentors and encouragers. Can you imagine growing up in the house where the first church literally met every week in your house? I mean, amazing. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, Peter calls John Mark his beloved son. So can you imagine that, that Peter, who was like Billy Graham or something, you know, Peter, the, 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 the hero of the faith, thinks of you as his beloved son. Having that kind of mentor, that kind of encourager. Look over at chapter 12, verse 25. Chapter 12, verse 25. It says, when Barnabas and Saul finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, and they took with them John, who was also called Mark. So here are Paul and Barnabas. They've started this ministry in Antioch. And there's Jews and Gentiles both in the church in Antioch. It's in Antioch that that this fledgling group of of believers are first called Christians. The church is exploding. And when Barnabas and Paul visit Jerusalem and go back to Antioch, they look at this teenage boy and they say, Why don't you go with us? And John Mark goes, Unbelievable. I'm going to go to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They were his mentors. They were his encouragers. Can you imagine having people of the faith like that to mentor and to encourage and to be involved in your life? And again, it's no stretch. That's exactly what we need to be doing at church. You need to actually know some people that are that are kids in this church. If you are an adult, make it your mission to find some kids in this church and to get to know them in a very real personal way. And parents... Find people in the church that you think your kids will identify with. Uh, what are your kids' hobbies? Are they Do they like uh, photography? Well, find, find a, a photographer in the church. Are they into sports? Find somebody that has something to do with that. Find people that your child can relate to and then put them together and get them to know one another because that kind of mentorship and encouraging is something that causes faith to stick. It was interesting, this week, Prince William from England, the crown prince, was visiting a, a hospice care center for families, and uh, they were having a little round table, and the, the boy sitting next to him, everybody was introducing themselves, and they got to the boy sitting next to, to Prince William, and uh, he said, well, I'm 14 years old, and I'm here because my mom passed away a couple of weeks ago, and then the boy started crying, and Prince William said, are you Okay. And he said, I miss my mom so much. Take a look at the picture right here. Prince William stopped everything, put his arm around the young man, and began to whisper to him. And this is what he said. I was your age when I lost my mom. And you know what? I still miss her to this day. And I love my mom. And you're always going to love and miss your mom. But you need to know you've got family and friends that love and care about you. You need to talk to them about it. And he talked to that boy for almost 10 minutes while everybody else was waiting. What had happened in that moment? Two people, one a crown prince of England, and one just a a common boy had found a common bond in that they both lost their mothers at the same age. And that bond caused them to pull together. You see, that's what the church is supposed to be like. Can you imagine why faith sticks when a child finds somebody that has the same interests and hobbies that is interested then in them? It causes faith to stick, and it did for John Mark. And then the last thing we see here about John Mark and his early life that caused his faith to stick is that he was given opportunities not just to be mentored, but to actually serve along with the veterans and the giants of the faith. Now, Paul and Barnabas go back to Antioch and they say, you know, we're not just supposed to to be in Antioch. We think we're supposed to take the word of God throughout the world. And Paul and Barnabas set up the very first ever international Christian mission trip. They make an obvious decision. The word of God is going to be taken to the entire world. We're going to tell everybody about Jesus. And so look at what they do when that that decides to happen. Look down at chapter 13, verse 5. Chapter 13, verse 5. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogue, and John went with them as their helper. The first ever missionary trip to the entire world to tell it about Jesus involved three people. The Apostle Paul, Barnabas, and a teenage boy named John Mark. Now, can you imagine something that would cause faith to stick even more than being allowed to serve along with giants of the faith like this? You see, our children need to do more than hear our stories. They need to be a part of the story. And so we need to be doing everything we can to involve our children in the church. They are not the church of the future. We need to be making them the church of right now because they're in it. They are part of the church. So when we take mission trips, we need to have adults serving along with children. Now there's nothing wrong with having youth mission trips or youth retreats or whatever but our children need to serve alongside adults. That's why we need to get children doing things like helping serve with the deacons or or uh uh you know or or uh taking up the offering, uh, being greeters, but they don't need to do it as youth or children are on their own. They need to be doing it with adults who they get to know and the adults get to know them and they do it and they serve together. What a difference that makes. John Mark was allowed to serve along with these veterans and it made such a difference in his life. It made it his church and not just the church that he was hearing about. Travis Rudolph is a wide receiver uh, for Florida State University and recently several Florida State uh, players visited a middle school Uh, there. He's actually the best receiver Florida State has. We hope he has a great year, except next week, that he has a really bad week next week and drops a lot of passes because that builds character uh, as you do that. But anyway, anyway, uh, they were all at this middle school, and the players would sit down at a table uh, to eat with the kids, and the kids would just, they would gather around the players. And he noticed that there was one boy off by himself who no one was eating with and nobody would talk to. Ended up finding out the boy's name was Boy Paskey, Bo Paskey. Uh, Bo has uh, autism. He's had a very rough time uh, kind of mainstreaming into middle school from elementary school. Uh, Nobody talked to him. He was by himself. So Travis went over, sat down with the boy, and had lunch with just him and the boy. More than that, this Saturday, he invited him to the game And Bo was on the sidelines with Travis wearing a Florida State shirt. And his dad said this He said, You know what? Bo never cared about football at all, and now he won't take his Florida State shirt off no matter what. You think he's going to be a fan the rest of his life? I guarantee you he's going to be. Isn't that what we were supposed to be doing with the children in our church? Isn't that how they were supposed to see church? These are people that love me and care for me. But not only that, they're people that I am involved in what they're doing. And it's going to stick with me the rest of my life because of that. So we look here at the life of John Mark and we see things that caused his faith to stick. He heard the stories. He was mentored. He was involved in ministry. And those things caused his faith to stick. So you'd hear all this and you'd think, well, man, John Mark must have had just an easy life and an easy faith. I mean, he grew up around all these legends. Everything was good. Never had any problems. If I had that kind of, of relationship, it would have happened to me too. Uh, but, but we don't all have that opportunity. But that's not the case at all. John Mark hit a real rough spot in his life and in his ministry. And so let's look over now into Acts chapter 13 and see what happens. And what we see is there are things that cause faith to stick. But unfortunately, most churches don't do them. Most churches divide up the age groups. The people never get to know one another. And uh, uh, um, uh, we don't do the things that we're supposed to bring people together. Let's see what happens with John Mark. Acts 13, verses 13 and 14. From Pappus Paul and his companions, sailed so to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them, and return to Jerusalem. Now we're not told what happened, but in the middle of the first missionary journey John leaves and goes back home. Now we're going to find out later whatever happened it was pretty severe. He may have been homesick, but you've got to realize this is a boy that came from a fairly well-to-do family. They're now struggling to to get food to eat on, on the road. Not only that, everywhere they go and preach, people hate them. They're trying to kill them. Their very lives are on the line, every city they're going to. And finally, a teenage boy says, man, I don't know that I signed up for this. And in the middle of it, he leaves and he goes back home. So here's John Mark. Now he's failed. On the first big mission opportunity he had to be with, he failed, and everything seems to be different now. What's his life going to be like? Is it going to stick? Well, after this first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas decide, let's go do a second missionary journey. And so these two great friends, these two great legends of the faith, Paul and Barnabas decide to do this second Great missionary journey. Let's see what happens. Chapter 15, verse 36. Chapter 15, verse 36. Now, sometimes later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. And Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul didn't think it wise to take him. He deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued along with them in the work. And they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and left commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord through Syria and Cilicia. So they're about to go on the second missionary journey. And Barnabas says, let's take John Mark with us. And Paul says, are you crazy? You've got to understand when we go out there, it's tough. When we go out there, our lives are on the line and we can't trust this boy. He's already proven he can't be trusted. He doesn't need another chance. It's too dangerous. It's not something to get somebody trained on. I won't go if he goes. And Barnabas says, I won't go unless he goes. And the disagreement between these two great saints is so sharp. That one goes one way and the other goes the other way. They literally separate after all these years. Now, here's the ironic thing. You know, the only reason Paul had a ministry is that when nobody believed in him, Barnabas took him along no matter what. And Barnabas does the same thing now with John Mark. When nobody believed in him, he takes him along with him anyway. He gives him another chance. You see, the church too many times is like Paul instead of Barnabas when it comes to our children. We have two things that we generally do when it comes to children. The first thing that we do when we come to children is that we think children should be seen but not heard. Look, don't, you know, the kids are kids. If you get them involved in ministry, they're just going to mess it up. You know, they just need to be seen, not heard. And so we, we think of kids as just not quite real adults or real people. They're not really, they're the church of the future. They're not the church of the present. And so we just want our kids to be quiet and not cause any trouble. If they cry, send them to the nursery. If they talk, uh, get them a a sheet to color. Uh, If they misbehave, let's do an entire service and just give it to them and get them out of here or something like that. And so we want kids to be seen but not heard. We don't really want them to be a part. When was the last time you as an adult, for the adults here, actually sat down and talked to a kid in the church? And try to encourage them, find out about them, learn about them. And so that's just not something we do or we value. And then not only that, kids don't do it as well. And so we think, well, if they're not going to do it as well, uh, then they shouldn't be involved in doing it. How did you learn how to do anything? You learn by messing up and trying again and again until you eventually got it right. We're not very patient with that. Sometimes kids are inconsistent. Sometimes they show up, sometimes they don't. And so we look at all of these things and we begin to say, well, then, you know, uh, I just don't want them involved. But the church's attitude should be, no, these children need to be raised in a sticky face situation where their faith grows stronger and stronger as they learn to serve God. There's an interesting thing that happened on an airplane this, this week. A mom had a baby in her arms. The mom was also pregnant at the time. The baby was screaming and crying. The mom was Clearly exhausted, didn't know what to do, and uh, people begin to complain. They call the stewardess back and they say, can't you do something? Can you send them somewhere else? So everybody's complaining. The stewardess tells the mom, you need to do something to get your baby under control. The mom starts to cry. The baby starts to cry even louder when suddenly a man walked down the aisle and did this. picked the baby up and begin to walk the baby up and down the aisle. The baby stopped crying. In a couple of minutes, the mom fell asleep. He held the baby for the next 35 minutes till the mom woke up and then gave her back to him. That's what the church is supposed to be like. Instead of saying, hey, do something about them and get them to shut up, we need to be the people that are carrying the baby and letting them know that they're cared for and they're loved. That's what the church should be. The other thing we do, though, as a church is that we tend to separate the age groups. We never get together at all. Anybody here at holidays ever have two tables, the adult table and the kids table? Yeah, we we all do that. But did you know that when you separate adults and kids at the holidays, the kids never get to hear the adult stories? They never get to hear grandma talking about what happened as she grew up or the important things that are going on. We segregate and separate our children at every age of their life. And then they come to church and we do the same thing. We have preschoolers here and children here and and, and students over there. And we never get together to share. And we've got to stop dividing and find ways to get together. And that brings us to the last thing that we see. When children feel close to adults in the church, their faith tends tends to stick. Why do you think John Mark's faith stuck? John Mark had been said, the apostle Paul, he's not going to go with me. Paul, who wrote half the New Testament. What if Paul would have said, yeah, you're not worth it. I don't think you're ever going to pan out and you can't go with me. If Paul said that about you, it probably hurt your fragile self-esteem there a little bit, you know. So what caused John Mark's faith to stick? Well, several things. He'd heard the stories of faith. He'd heard Peter talk about denying Jesus and then Jesus still forgiving and accepting him. He had heard those stories. He'd been involved in the ministry. He had mentors. And even when he failed, it was still his family and his church. So certain things happened. In Philemon 24, Paul calls John Mark his fellow worker. In the book of Colossians, he sends him to the church at Colossae to do ministry there. And in 2 Timothy 4.11, right before Paul is executed, one of the last things he does is to write in his letter to Timothy, please send John Mark to me. He's so useful for my ministry. So here is a young man who totally failed, who Paul had rejected, that at the end of his life, Paul says, this young man is useful for my ministry. Why? Because he had a faith that stuck no matter what else was going on in his life. We need that kind of faith that sticks. John Mark would go on to do that. He was more than useful to Paul's ministry. You know what John Mark would do? He would later go on to write something. And it would be the first one that we would have. He wrote the first story in the Bible about Jesus. It's called the Gospel of Mark. And he coined a phrase in the very first sentence of his story of Jesus. He said, I'm telling you good news about Jesus. And that's where we got the word gospel. Aren't we glad John Mark's face stuck? Probably a lot of you have seen the TV show Parenthood. There's a particular episode in Parenthood uh, where there is an adoption of a child. And if you want to know what the church is supposed to look like and the church is supposed to be like for children, watch this short clip and it will show you what children are supposed to feel like and know from the church.
2: Come in. Hi, we have... uh, have Um, Yes, yes, come on in. Great. All right, yes, I... This is salsa. he's a lizard. This will take a while. That's a good idea. Okay, all right, come on in. Come in, please, come in. Okay, close the door. (laughs) Okay, everyone, please, hello, everyone, please. All right, welcome. (laughs) Thank you. All right, uh, so Joel and Julia Graham. Yes. Yeah, hi. Yes. So now you understand that by signing this adoption agreement form, you agree to... uh, Take care of Victor as your own legal child, right? To provide for his health, his welfare, his educational needs? We do. Yes, Your Honor. Okay. Victor? Do you understand? Do you agree to this adoption? Yeah. Okay, then. <laughs> All right, well, then, unless anyone has anything to add, I'm ready to make it official. <clears throat> your Honor, yes, if sir. I may. Mm-hmm. As grandparents, my wife, Camille, and myself will do the best we can to uh, to give Victor what we've given our own children which is our undying love and support and also being a baseball aficionado uh, okay. I would like to teach him the art of fielding the hot grounder <laughs> okay. but hey, that can wait till later. And...
1: Uh, your Honor I'm sorry if, if I may I'm Adam Braverman I'm Deacon Camille's oldest son and I promise to be your uncle listen your, your aunt Christine and I are no substitute for your stellar parents but we promise to be there for you no matter what.
0: You can always come to me, Victor, if you need help, and I promise I won't rat you out to your mom. I can give you dating advice. <laughs> and I can help repair the terrible damage that her dad does. okay I, I, I'm well, willing to teach you how to ride a motorcycle and play an instrument. Oh, your girl so troubles will vanish immediately <laughs> once you know those two things.
2: Yeah. And you can come to my house anytime. We can play Xbox and you can sleep over in sit. Now that you're adopted, you can officially hold my lizards. Okay. <laughs> I promise to love you, buddy. Yeah. No matter what.
0: Me too. Okay.
2: Okay. It's quite a family you're coming into.
0: When all right, on
2: this day, January 24, 2013, Joel and Julia Graham have officially adopted Victor Graham. You're now legally their child. You have all the rights of any natural child. Okay. I will hereby sign this order confirming the adoption. Beautiful family. There's something, aren't they?
1: Now think about earlier when we had some parents standing up here with their children. And that's what the church was supposed to be like. We love our children. We're dedicating them to the Lord. And then all around a church that says, we're there to support and love and care and do everything we can. We're no substitute for your stellar parents, but we're here to walk alongside of you. When the church walks alongside parents and their children, that causes faith to stick. What's that a prayer? Father, thank you that you didn't leave us alone in this world. You've given us this family called the church. And we just pray, Lord, that as a church, we would be the family that we're supposed to be. Not just coming and putting in our time on Sunday morning and going home, not just worried about what's good for us or what we need. Mm-hmm but truly being a family that loves and cares for one another. And when we do that in the lives of these parents and children, oh, Lord, they get a faith that will stick forever. In Jesus' name, we pray this. Amen.
0: We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m.,